Welcome, everyone, to the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corvo. I've got with me, as always, the ever-trusty Kyle Maggio. What's up, dude? You know, present. Yep, present. That's what kind of uh, day we're having, because that's what kind of stretch it is. It is snowy, the Knicks are not good, and that must mean it's January. So, yeah. why don't we uh, hop right into it? Let's talk about this Knicks slump that they're on right now. Um, just so much wrong. So much wrong. So I pulled up the last 10 game stats according to uh, to basketball reference. And it's like it's even worse than meets the eye. Like I'm looking through it now. They're only shooting like less than 45 percent from the field. They're shooting less than 35 percent from three uh, turnovers. They're at like, you know, they're not terrible. They're like 13 a game. Uh, it's just like it's just when you look at the rest of the team, like the stats aren't that bad. The field goal percentage is very bad. The amount of threes that they're giving up a game is still very bad. They're still giving up like uh, almost 27 threes per game in the last 10 games. Um, so it, it's it's not good. They're not shooting a lot of threes. They're only making like six and a half a game. Um, it just seems like everything that could go wrong right now is going wrong. They And in those that 10 game stretch I'm talking about, they have won only three games. Um, so more than the stats, tell me about what you're seeing on the court. It's just, it's just like forced offense is is the best way I could word it. I've seen, and maybe this is recency bias, but it's forced offense and just the most lethargic defense that I've seen from this team in a while, and that says a lot for a team that I think as of before last night or before the last two games, they were the the very most definition of a middle of the pack team. Their O rating was like sixteenth out of thirtieth, and their uh, D rank was 14th out of 30th, or vice versa. It might have been vice versa, but either way, there one was like right above league average, one was right below league average, and um, yeah, I, I just I don't know. I mean, this is what a 500 team does. They they go on spurts when they win, and then they lose um, in in the same fashion. And we knew we were warning for a while that while this overachieving team in the beginning was fun. Um, January might yield different results with all the road games catching up to them. And uh, so far that's looking to prove true, but we're, we're seeing just like, I I mean, Cantor's look like on borderline unplayable the last two games after he had that strong Christmas game. He's really kind of fell off a little bit, you know, outside of a game here and there. KP's just in a nasty slump. He was quoted as saying um, he's just tired, so tired. And I get that. I get that. It's a t- First of all, I love KP. We'll always stand up for KP. It's a terrible quote. Um, on top of that, you know, they they just missed Timmy. There's no offensive movement. You know, Timmy, as much as he got that rep for being a shooter in his first season or two, he's developed into quite the playmaker. And that is missed sorely when the only playmaker they really have, and I, I cautiously it will avoid labeling frank that at this moment in time he's working that way but the only real playmaker they have is courtney lee 
So if Courtney Lee isn't in full-on playmaking mode like he is when he's at home at the Garden typically, there's just nothing. It's just KP forcing up shots because as the number one option, you got to do that sometimes. And because of that, his efficiency's taken a hit. You know, all of his percentages are down over the last 10 or so games, which coincides with the Knicks being bad. So it's just a mess. The team isn't healthy. KP's exhausted. It's yeah. just bad basketball. And, and we were worried about January for this reason. And I mean, is that really like, so let's just take a, take a quick look. I, while you're talking, I got KP's last 10, ga- 10 game numbers up too. And he's shooting 39% from the field and 32% from three. Like, is it just that he's tired right now? Is it just that he's been carrying such a, a workload for this team? And, you know, it's it, he just doesn't have any answers anymore. I don't I don't think it's just, you know, it's not just tired. I think, yeah, being tired certainly plays a part. But the other part that, you know, we've alluded to is um, teams are just keying in on him now. And, you know, earlier in the year, if teams did something that was successful, Tim Hardaway Jr. was still there and you can kind of shift the offensive focus between the two of them a little bit or, you know, having him and Lee in the lineup kind of helps make things easier for for KP, for ball movement in general. So I think it was harder for D, you know, defenses to settle in on him and really try to trap him in any kind of fashion. And if he did something that worked, you know, the Knicks were able to then, you know, change it up a little bit with those dynamic wings that they had. With Timmy not available, what ends up happening is they can just, send the double at KP all the time because they're not scared of anybody. The only guy to really be scared of is Courtney Lee. That's it. Courtney Lee, Dougie, as much as he's been like dynamite at home, he's been just awful on the road for the most part this year. So he's been very inconsistent. So the only real threat that they, um, they have is, is KP and they just send, and we've been watching the games. They send the doubles at him and he's gotten better you know, learning to pass out of the doubles of late, but um, he's just not, it's not even his fault, but there's only so much you could do. He's passing out when he can. He's learning to pass out. It's a part, it's one part learning curve, one part him being tired and one part him being the only option. And it's tough. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And it's like, the problem is there's still no update on when Tim Hardaway is coming back. I mean, he was a Begley, a good close personal friend. Of the show, yes, Ian Begley, great friend, great friend um, tweeted out a video of Timmy working out before the Spurs game at the Garden, and he was moving around pretty well. I, I don't, to me, if they're gonna release something like that of him, he's got to be putting. Um, I mean, he's got to be kind of like I think at first they said they check back in in two weeks, and now I think. I just you know, don't want was, like the Markel Fultz timeline to uh, to happen with him here, you know. Like yeah, I don't, no, I, don't I don't need don't the trend where it's like, yeah, we'll reevaluate every in two weeks, and then they put out another announcement that they'll reevaluate in another two weeks, or yeah, where where he's always a week away from being right, a week right, away, right? So I, I don't know if we're there yet. I just think, um, you know, the first thing that they said was in two weeks they check back in. In two weeks, mm-hmm. roughly, we heard, you know, probably going to be another couple of weeks, and. I'm not going to knock them, I guess, for that. There's been weirder. I mean, the the Fultz thing is just the weirdest thing. But um, I don't know. I mean, it looks the evidence was there. I mean, he's shooting. He's running. He's moving. That would 
allude to him being back at some point in the next week or two. So, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. just like going back to KP for a second there because he just seems to be one of the guys who it, it seems like the last two years he's done the same thing where he comes out of the gate pretty strong if not you know going just gangbusters like he did this year um, and then you know he slows up around this point in the season even in his rookie year he hit the he hit the slump around this time um, he just seems like he's going to be one of those stars and there's a million stars like this so it's not really too much of a knock on him but you know, around this point in the season, when it, you know, you're know you 40 games in, you're halfway through the season, he's he needs someone else there to kind of you know let him sit back for a couple of months. I, ideally, he should be getting starting to get prepared for the playoffs right now. And you know the fact that he has to carry this team night in and night out is is really the biggest problem here. Yeah, he he's tired because this is you know he has no one else to go to because Tim Hardaway Jr. has missed 20 games and there's really not too much else behind him. Which kind of brings me to my next point here. Um, the person who's really stepped up, or I guess I should say in terms of minutes at least, has been Michael Beasley. Um, just, to, just, just to throw some more numbers out at you here. Um, so I, I kinda, I've kind of i been thinking about this a lot this week because there, there's something with Michael Beasley that I've been noticing where you know, he'll put up all these numbers and he'll put up these gory plays, and it's something that's been happening for you know, years and years now, but... You know, it's obviously not super efficient. It's obviously doesn't look great on the court in terms of team chemistry. And, you know, it's it's obvious after this long in the league that it's not really helping you win games. So to put it into perspective here, since Tim Hardaway Jr. went out, he's averaging 22.1 points a game. Um, he's played over 25 minutes six times, and the Knicks are 7-9. and nine. Before the Tim Hardaway Jr. injury, Beasley was averaging 13 minutes and had six did-not plays, and the Knicks were 11-10 and 10 in that time. Um, but so then you see all that and you think, okay, well, Beasley should be, you know, getting less of a load or riding the pine or whatever. And then you look at his points per game. And in the last, you know, couple of games, he scored 20, 18, 15, 23, uh, you know, all big, ne- big numbers. And then you look over at his, uh, his plus minus and they're all negatives next to there. So it, it seems like it's what's happened here is since Tim Hardaway Jr. has gone out, Michael Beasley has become the second star on this team. God bless. But yeah. it's just like, is it worth it? Is it is it worth you know him carrying the scoring load right now and you know getting the occasional win and you know no. kind of really it's messing just, up what looks like it's going on around him? Like I just don't see any chemistry out there where Michael Beasley is no, playing. It, it it's not. It's just not. And I think um, someone tweeted this the other day. It may have been uh, Brian Giberman. Um, I'm trying to remember, but someone just tweeted that. Like basically the only way, and I'm paraphrasing, but the basically the only way for Beasley to be successful on the court is to, you know, in a lineup where he's the only scorer. That's the only thing that makes sense. That's the only reason that he'd have impact. If you put him out there as the only scorer um, with a bunch of, you know, bench defenders, that's basically the only world that exists that he can make a some sort of positive impact because he doesn't do anything defensively. He just doesn't. I mean, yesterday it was a blowout and he got his buckets mostly in garbage time. But um, 
you know, he made a couple of nice passes, but like that's rare. That's not a thing that's going to be there game to game. And defensively, I think the only outside he gets like one block a game, I feel like, and then that's supposed to make up for just repeated blowness. He just doesn't pay attention to the defensive game plan. Whatever it is, he doesn't pay attention because he's late on rotations. He can't help to save his life. He's just. I don't know. He's just not. He does like that half-ass swipe when you blow by him to show like he's playing D, and then nothing happens. Nothing comes of it. So, yeah, it's just not. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Like, are there? Is there better ways to deploy him that would kind of make up for some of the deficiency he, deficiencies he has here? Because right now, you know, you look at the at the starting lineup, and it's Jared Jack, it's Courtney Lee, it's Lance Thomas, it's Chris Stops, and it's Cantor. Um, which I don't know where you're getting you, you want any scoring from there other than Chris Stops. Courtney Lee is not can't keep up his you know his pace that he was on at the beginning of the season. It's kind of starting to show a little bit. Um, and then you look at where Beasley comes out and you know he's got he's got like Frank out there with him. He's got you know it's him. It's uh, it's Kylo Quinn. It's it's guys like that. It's uh, it's you know Doug McDermott. So it's can we can we mix these lines up at all? Like is there any way that we can make a you know, for as long as we have to deal with it, a Porzingis Beasley one two punch kind of stick. Well, I feel terrible way, saying all these words together. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean the only way that it would be doable, the only way that it would be possible is if you threw Beasley in at the four and then you threw and this is I can't believe we're at this point, but this is almost the Carmelo argument because you move KP to the five, Beasley to the four, and this is pretty much only during this stretch where Timmy's out, because once Timmy's back, they had better lineups to go to than anything, including Beasley for longer than 10 minutes a game. But let's say he's out for another two weeks. You want to keep them playoff contention. Clearly, the rest of the centers aren't consistent enough. Cantor is fun. Cantor's had some really good games this year. You know, outside of this last stretch where no one's playing well, you know, he was really, you can make the argument for the second best player on the team. So he hasn't been playing well. He's been inconsistent now. Kyle O'Quinn is forever inconsistent. And uh, Billy just doesn't play anymore. So, you know, you got to face some of those guys out at this point. You got to let KP play a little bit more five. And then, yeah, I mean, Beasley, the only way he could be impactful for any kind of time would be sort of the Carmelo argument, which is, well, he's going to be quicker than a lot of guys are at the four and in his big games, I think we've kind of seen that where he just torches guys on the block. So that's fine. That's all good and well. That's what you want. Keep maximizing him there. And then defensively, you can get him up on some bigger bodied guys. I it's the NBA in 2018. So there's some stretch fours out there for sure, but get him on some bigger guys who are a little bit slower than just leaving him to really always be out on the perimeter at the three. And that might shore up some of the defensive issues. It might, help him get involved defensively on helps or switches or rotations just because he doesn't have to cover as much ground. Then you have KP playing the five and we, every lineup ever since he's been in the league has indicated that that's where he should be. Um, All the data shows that and the eye test shows that it just makes sense. It just makes sense. So I think if you could just optimize KP, he's in his optimal defensive and offensive position, then you can help Beasley out. Two, and that would be the only way to get through this January stretch unscathed is if you went to that a little bit more. And of course, that lineup would need more defenders too. So hopefully you have Frank in there. 
You have Courtney in there. Um, you could throw Lance in. You know, it, it's just I just feel like that's the only way if you play that lineup for like 15 minutes or so a game. I, you just can't keep doing this thing with Beasley at the three, KP at the four. It's just it's sad. It's, it just doesn't work. So kind of, you know, when you when you talk about moving KP to the five and, you know, doing moving some other players around the lineup to get back to some optimal positions here uh, to try to you know be competitive once again, it just, you know, all that makes me think of is how bloated that center rotation already is. And obviously the trade deadline's coming up. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of players that are on, you know, on the Knicks mind and also on the fans minds right now. Um, so I kind of want to, you know, talk about two names at least that have been uh, talked about getting moved around a lot. And that's Kylo Quinn and Billy Hernan Gomez. Um, we've talked about them a lot in this podcast, whether we should move them or not. Um, pretty much all of the arguments that I made for O'Quinn not to get moved earlier in the season are just about unfounded at this point. Um, so I don't know, like I haven't really, I heard that O'Quinn's probably the one being shopped the most, but I haven't really heard anything about any, you know, potential packages. There is an interesting one for, uh, Billy on the table right now, but, uh, what do you think about moving these players around or what, how badly do you think the Knicks should make a change this, this, uh, this deadline? I mean, I always thought that they should, and again, I, I feel like we need to say this every time just to sort of show how serious we were when we said it, you know, last year as well. I feel like every time we discuss trades around this time, it's always the same two guys that, and at this juncture with this team, I think they're 18 and 19 now. I think they did one game under 500. Um, Making a trade, whether it's for the playoffs or for the future, just makes sense. And you have two guys of value that can get you probably what you want to some degree. You know, if you're looking to to trade for, let's say, a player that can help out because you have a log jam at center, right? I mean, you'd want to trade Kylo Quinn. Seems like the younger guy who can come off the bench. You know, that there's always a need for that. Whereas Cantor's a guy who probably needs to start. There's less of a, a need for finding your starting center who's about to need a big payday. So I can see why Kyle Quinn makes sense. It's good value, bench guy. There there will, will always be a need for that. So I could see that. Someone's gonna take him. You know, someone would take him. Uh you could we've argued about what you'd get for him, but someone will take him. And then Courtney Lee, as much as I am a gigantic Courtney Lee fan, he's thirty-three now. He deserves better than, you know fighting for an eighth seed he's having a career year and someone again would need him there's always a team that needs a courtney lee like the last couple years the clippers could have used a courtney lee they were always it felt like a wing away from really being a serious contender and like courtney lee could fill some of those gaps for a contending team so it's like you could always move one of these guys and i hope that they do but my point is I mean, it kind of depends where they want to go with this team now. You have sort of an ill-fitting roster. We knew that coming into the year. Are you going to try? It's not. I don't think the question is if they'll move these guys. I think the question is why are they moving these guys? Is it going to be we're just looking for draft picks? We're just looking, you know, if we make the playoffs with KP, that's great. If not, we're just looking to load up for, you know, the draft. Or is it, no, we really want to get KP some experience if we 
you know, flail, we flail, it happens. Um, are they going to try to make a move for, you know, like a position of deep, like a, a better starting point guard for the time being or some more wing help because they're a little shallow there? You know, so I, I just I think that's the thing that we should really be debating is whether or not they're going to make this move for the future or whether or not they're going to make this move to try to win some games now. And I have no idea. I'm on the point now where, you know, I, I feel this January stretch coming right now. Things are not looking great. Um, you know, regardless of how this team is composed right now, like the chemistry is pretty much out the window. What you're going to have to do from here is rebuild regardless of who's on your on your roster. And you have a lot of guys on the team who, you know, are talked about being moved and are going to probably stick around for a while who can definitely help with that and help to rebuild what it was like at the beginning of the year. But, you know, some of the more valuable guys, like, who's to say that the same chemistry comes back at the beginning of the year? So I'm more on board now with try to move the pieces that you can move who's going to get you some value in the present. Um, I mean, you know, when I say value in the present, too, I mean more like, you know, young, valuable players who might not have worked out super well in their first stint somewhere um, or might still be a little under the radar who you want to take a chance on or, you know, obviously draft picks. But I think even more so you want to go more for young players, high upside, um, see what's available around the league. It might not be so much a positional thing as long as it's not a center coming back. I feel like they can kind of go and grab, you know, whoever they want. Because they have a lot of their starting core figured out already. You know, you got you know Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to be your starter. You know you want Frank to be your starter in the long run. So maybe you need someone who might start for now and, you know, come off the bench next season or something. Um, but, you know, there's there's plenty of room for backup wings. There's plenty of room for backup five. Uh, backup four, sorry. Um, really, the one guy that's really appealing to me is Julius Randle. I know that he hasn't really worked as a Laker, but I just feel like another stretch for on this team you could work out some nice lineups with him and Porzingis out there where you could actually have KP at the five working well and still have an outside threat uh, that'll give some KP some more room to move inside. Um, and then, you know, I still believe like Doug McBuckus has been having a good season. I forgot his name was McDermott actually there for a second. I just naturally called them. Mm. McBuckets. But I think he's been having a, a genuinely good season. I think he'll probably continue to keep it up even if he's, you know, not as consistent as he was earlier. Um, I don't. I do think that Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway Jr. are a bit redundant on the team, uh, but they both give you a couple of different things. So that's why I've been fine with keeping them for now. But if it's if it's not going to be the same as it was at the beginning of the season, once all the pieces are back in line, and since there's no guarantee that there is, I say just try to get what value you can. You know, cu- a couple of draft picks, a couple of young players, take some chances here. Something is going to pan out. Um, yeah. I- I don't I don't know. I mean, I'd rather just get the draft picks right now, to be honest, because as long as you keep like the core of KP and Frank and Timmy and then just kind of shift around. I mean, because KP is obviously going to be here long term. I mean, I, I understand the contract stuff. Yeah. Supposedly there's issues that he may not resign. I, I doubt that for like 150 million reasons. But um I mean, it, you know, it depends on the picks. Like, you know, if we can get, you know, it's it's, well, mid, it's like, mid, mid example, lottery is fine. I feel like I feel like anywhere like 
the Knicks don't need a huge um, like the Knicks don't need a one through five pick right now. The, the Knicks well, can I, get a pick in you know the you know eight to even like fifteen sixteen range, and probably find someone of value because they don't need a star. But to me, that they're not they're not going to get that high. Like the 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 way I see this happening is like best case scenario, we're going to send any one of these guys. To me, isn't going to go to like you know the Pelicans. I just don't see the Pelicans like a like a lower level Jazz Pelicans kind of team making a move to to give up anything significant. You know, because it would have made sense. I, I feel like. The only way this works out is we trade these guys to a, a contender and whether or not we get, you know, we probably wouldn't get a young guy back, but probably some very late first round picks or a first late first, yeah. which is OK. Or if we do trade them to a team that's, let's say, like a, and it's not the Pelicans. I'm just spitballing it for their, where their seating position is, but in the sense that they're not going to give up a ton. They're not trying to win at all. They're just trying to improve. Right, and, and uh, I can and, see them giving up like a like a good first. Uh, uh, I mean, a good second round pick. You know, something that's going to be in the thirties. Yeah, the and if, if that's and the that's case, fine. if that's the case, I'd honestly just rather them go for a like a higher upside, riskier, like yo- like young to you know like mid twenties player. Like you know, like I I don't mind if you got to take back a little bit of salary right now if you can. Like it's. I would I'd rather take the risk on someone who's already in the league because I just don't know if they have the timeline for draft picks anymore. You know, like it's I I, I know KP is young. I know Frank's young and everything like that. But you got to KP is hungry. Like you got to give him something within the next couple of years. Like, well, I think I think it's actually fine to just keep trying to get those draft picks if you can. And, and, And I'm not saying in the sense that you're tanking, but just keep adding to your chances. You know, if the timelines don't match up with older players, try to move them for whatever you can get for them. And then you sort of just gamble on the fact that KP is who we think he is, you know? And we knew all along that, you know, averaging 30 points per game on 40, 50, 90 KP probably wasn't going to be sustainable. It isn't. He's, you know, dipped back to, I mean, he's still averaging 25 points a game, but he's going to start leveling off at some point. He's going to get hot again for a little stretch. You know, it's going to balance out. So if a guy's going to average between like 25 and 27 points a game, you know, I think he's like second or third in blocks, but he's like one or two in a field goal percentage against. And, you know, same thing for around the the basket, like within five feet of the hoop, his numbers are like stupid good. So if he's going to be that good, that impactful on both ends, then you just kind of bank on the fact that, like, well, yeah, we could probably win a bunch of games in his fourth year, his fifth year, um, his sixth year, even just with him and, and Timmy. And I, I almost want to worry about if he's not on the right timeline for picks because if he's going to be that good and, you know, Timmy's going to be an 18-5-5 five and five guy if this is who he actually is now, I – I don't know. I, I just think you can kind of gamble on him and, and Frank and Timmy there. And you just sort of try to fit the pieces around them and don't worry about trying to bring the bank on anybody else. I mean, it's yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I'd rather right. you've already invested in Timmy for the next four years. You know, you're going to break the bank on KP and Frankie looks like he's developing into quite the player. So I'd right. rather you just fit, just keep fitting. There's no rush because these guys are all under 25 you just keep mixing those pieces around them and then 
at some point in the next three or four years, that's when it gets serious. Yeah, that's fair. I just think, you know, just stock, try he, to stock the court with guys who might last. But yeah, I mean, either way, we're kind of talking about the same thing anyway. Like, it all translates need, to be the same thing. And he does need a taste of the playoffs. And I, right. I would like that to be this year for him. But honestly, if he just develops at the rate he's been developing the past couple of years, even at, with this team as currently constructed, they're going to make the playoffs one of these these next couple of years. It's going to be a low seed, but they're going to make it. It could yeah. be this year. You know, they've been hanging around the eighth seed all year. Yeah. And they've been, even now, I think they're like a game out of eighth, and they've been playing like dog shit for 10 games. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say they, they obviously could still make it this year. They could very easily make it next year. So, I think he'll get his taste with or without any significant moves being made. So, so I, I mean, let's talk about making the playoffs real quick then. You know, it seems like a lot of the fans for a while here, you know, it, when Jeff Hornsack first got hired, everyone was thinking, like, this guy is a good coach. He's not the coach of the future, but he's a good coach to get us through right now. And it seems like in the last couple of weeks, that narrative has changed pretty significantly. Seems like most fans are starting to turn on Hornacek. They're starting to get frustrated with the rotations and with the players he's playing, and that he just kind of doesn't have any answers now that the Knicks are kind of seem to be going through a bit of a stretch here. Uh, what do what is what is what should Hornacek be doing, and what do you think he's going to do to try to make this team make the playoffs? I, I don't know. I, I mean, what what Hornacek should be doing is. I think at some point in the next couple of weeks, you got to at least give a couple of stabs at starting Frank. I don't know if you'd make the move full time, but just address it as that stupid. Oh, you know, we're just trying something new line that coaches love to use and go from there. I think you got to look at that. Um, His lineups have just been bad lately. I felt like in the beginning of the year, the first month or two, okay, the second month, really November, I felt like he was really good at, Mixing it up, but not too much. And that came from still having Timmy available. But I felt like he was really able to, like, stagger the lineups well. So there was, like, KP would be out there with some bench guys. Or Timmy would be out there with some bench guys. Like, there was always a guy who could score or play make a little bit out there. And I feel like lately he's been throwing out, like, full-on bench lineups. And... I did come to his defense for the Spurs game when he ripped all the starters out. So I'm going to just remove that from this part of the discussion because that was like a punishment game for the starters playing like shit. Like that was intentional. But even against like the Wizards and a couple other games, he's gotten to this like straight up bench lineup a couple of times. And I just don't understand why he thinks that'll work. I don't have too many gripes. You know, everybody, everybody in the NBA doesn't like some of the rotations that their coaches use. So I'm not going to sit here and, you know, there's, there's nobody who's perfect with that, but using like an all bench lineup that that's sort of confusing to me, especially when doll bench lineup is like, it's like Michael Beasley's the star of the show with nobody else that can play defense. It's like, I don't, I don't understand why you think that we'd win that game. You know, why we'd go on any kind of a run that way. That makes no sense. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have tons of issues with Hornacek. I, I don't think he's good. He's just very okay. I don't think he's a bad coach. He's just very like a regular. I feel like he's the coach that you get when you um, when you get like a generic head coach in 2K. 
who's just like mm-hmm. a B or a C plus at everything. Like he's just fine. He, he doesn't yeah. do anything well. He doesn't suck. He's just he's just kind of there. It's kind of how I feel about Hornacek. He's fine. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, the only plus that I give him almost on every podcast is I think he's doing the right thing with Frankie for the most part. We disagree on some things that he does, but which is fine. It's again, it's his team to run. Fair, you know, it, to be it, fair. It's, yeah, he can. Uh, everybody. I mean, I fuck up at my job plenty of times. You know, right? Nobody's perfect, I, but I just think that the you know the the gripe that a lot of people seem to be having is that you know first of all they have to. I think everyone thought this team was a little bit deeper than it was um, to begin. You know, it, there's guys are going to have games here and they're going to have spurts. And it seems like a lot of people's, you know, high points in the season came in the beginning of the season. Um, but I just, you know, it's the Beasley thing to get things going. Like, you know, the fact that he is playing such a high, you know, at such a high volume right now. And, you know, maybe he'd be better if he was just a little bit more efficient in a little bit smaller of a role, you know, kind of, we pointed out, we beat that to death earlier in the podcast, not to get into that too much more. But, you know, it's a Jared Jack thing and like him playing so many minutes out in the in the end of the game. You know, it's I, I understand there's not much more that he can do. But when you're kind of at a place like that where, you know, things are starting to revert to the mean in terms of how guys are playing or, you know, what guys is, you know, track record is for their career. I feel like that's when you got to kind of divide it up a little bit more evenly. You know, it's time to give a couple. It's time to break out your centers and try to play them to a couple of, you know, in a different role. It's time to uh, give you know Doug McDermott a couple more minutes. It's time, you know maybe even start him, maybe even start Frank. Um, you know I don't I don't know. It just seems like it's not like he has a great roster to try to do anything with here. But it just seems like well, he doesn't have that many. You know he hasn't tried too many new things to try to get this team a little re-energized. Yeah, I, I mean you actually brought up the one gripe that I forgot I had with Hornacek was the Jack thing, which I thought. Up until like the last what probably two weeks, I thought he handled the um, the Frank scenario with Jack, the Frank situation with Jack, really well. I thought, honestly, I thought it was fine that Frank wasn't starting coming into the year. I thought that was yeah. I think at first he's nineteen years old. I think it yeah. At first, when you draft a guy seventh, you would like to see that guy start and make the most out of his opportunity. I think all summer, Eighth. Um, I, I was pretty much just saying, hey, he should start. And once he sucks, then you could pull him and then do this whole charade. But again, if I, I can't really argue with how Frankie's developed so far. So hindsight's twenty twenty. But um, my, the whole thing that I thought was going really well the whole month of November and most of the way into December was Jack would start the game. Jack would not really play the entire second quarter. I think he might close out the last like minute or so of some second quarters and Frank would get, you know, that closing out the half assignment. So he got the first half and the second half he was closing out. And I thought that was a really good way of of sort of introducing Frank to the league. I, I thought, yeah, let him. No, sit, I, let him, I, I know, think it was learn. great, too, because Jared Jack all of a sudden had this insane burst of energy to uh, to start the year. Yeah. But, and then. It, he just went away from that. The right. past like two weeks, it's been like the opposite. He throws like Frank in way earlier in the, the first and third quarters, pulls him like beginning, like probably eight minutes, seven minutes left in the, the fourth quarter, and then Jack closes it out. And then 
these games kind of get away from us, and I'm just confused as to why he started doing that. When yeah, I think it, a lot, you know, a, Frank, a lot of it was to you know he had to change up Frank's minutes when Frank had to you know he wanted Frank to start closing out games with the with the starters. Um, but yeah, I I don't know you know I kind of what's all right with it because Jack uh, to Jeff Hornacek has this reputation of being a two point guard kind of guy, uh, a coach who does really well with two playmakers in his lineup from his Phoenix days. Um, but I just, it, I haven't really seen anything to make the Frank, you know, Jared Jack tandem look like it's going to work out there. Um, I, I, I mean, I feel like Frank should be the one closing out games at this point because Jared Jack, though he may have more of a basketball IQ to use in that situation, just hasn't looked like he can keep up in the same, uh, way that Frank can, especially on defense. Um, so I, I don't know it again, this is not something that we have a ton of answers for, but yeah, I'm, I, that's pretty much my big gripe with the whole thing too. Yeah. I don't know. He's just got to close up the games. I was perfectly fine with him. That starting piece closing out games. Yeah. Those are important minutes. Yeah. He, I just, I just don't, I just don't know why he's like a game or two. It, it's fine. It's a blip on the radar, but this has become a thing, and I'm not sure why. I, I feel like that was really important for Frank's I just, development, but I don't. I don't see I don't. why you have to play uh, Jared Jack and Frank Nielke to close out games. Just let Jared Jack sit. Like the guy's already um, starting at 35 years old. Shouldn't that be enough for him? Unless long-term conspiracy theory. Unless this is Hornacek getting Frank used to playing earlier in the games because he's about to start him. What I mean, if? yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Like, you know, he wants to get him used to closing out the game so he'll be more ready there when he's, you know, when he finally does get the start over Jack. I thought you were about to say that this is long-term planning because the Knicks want to go sign a point guard this season. They want to, uh, they want Frank to play the two-guard position. I was just going to be like, I don't think Jeff Hornacek should wait, hold out for that because he might not be here for that at all. No, my, no. So that, that's, I, that's, I think that's, that's a far very... too, yeah, that's far too woke for me. My third eye just twitched <laughs> when you said that, but. Before we get out of here let's talk about one last i guess point guard for this team um the masked monster ron baker jesus christ um so while we were at the fabulous Knicks wall meetup this past saturday and truly thank you to everyone who came out to that thing because that was a blast um shout out to everyone we met there shout out to uh everyone who got some merch at the thing shout out to everyone who got blinded by my camera flash um uh, and shout out to Ron Baker for taking the hit that we all have been taking all year and getting elbowed in the face by Anthony Davis and falling to the ground in a play that like, not only did we, it looked bad when we watched it the first time, but they tried to call a flagrant on Ron Baker afterwards. And then we had to rewatch it several times over again. Um, what I just mean to say here is how does Ron Baker's mask stack up to the greatest masks of all time? The Rip Hamiltons, the Kobe Bryant's, the, uh, the, the, um, Kyrie Irving's here, the Derek Rose. Think, oh, Jesus. I don't, uh, don't let's not, let's never talk about Derek Rose. Yeah. Again. Just, um, just the first couple guys. Um, I mean, Rip Hamilton's the gold standard of, right. of masks because I mean, that's a, 
I'm pretty sure a Hall of Fame career. I, I don't think only, anybody would argue that. Is he the only guy who won a championship wearing a mask? No, I'm, I'm sure there was others, but um, he just had the longevity. Like he tried to make it fashionable, and then he just wore it always for the rest of his career. So just off, because it gets used in in spurts now. Like when there's masked Kyrie or Mac, uh, masked LeBron, like right. You know, it, it's like a quick four or five game thing, and then they're done. Right. So it's because we love accessorizing our players now. Yeah, I mean, so, guys, so, right, guys wearing so, two armbands. You got untucked Kyrie. You've got you know all all these little these little extras that we throw on there, little handbags yeah, so, people get. Yeah, I think rips rips the gold standard. I'd probably go. Bron is probably when he wore that Dark Knight mask for a couple games. I think that I was probably Ron. that was probably the number two. Did Kobe have to uh, wear one, or did I make that up? Um. I, I thought I remember I, I, Kobe having to wear I do not want to say I'm second guessing myself I don't now. Know. So I'm I'm gonna yeah. Let's uh, scratch that one from the record. Um did D Wade need one too? I'm just I'm basically thinking of all I don't guards. think Wade had a mask, but I remember he had those goggles that yeah, he played he something. in the garden with because he had uh migraine issues. And oh shit, that's right, that's right. And he was going to wear, like, blacked-out shades, like, really blacked-out shades. You couldn't even see his eyes. And then they told him that he couldn't wear them because it was, like, an unfair advantage. So he wore these ones that were, like, tinted red. I, I, I'm trying to remember this only off the top of my head with no research whatsoever. But I remember him wearing shades. Um, I remember that being a thing. And I don't think he wore a mask. I am just picturing, like, D-Wade coming in. Remember the, that, like, infomercial for the uh, the wraparound sunglasses that was on a couple of years ago? Um, I'm picturing it, like, so vividly. Like, it's all just, like, these seniors getting these, like, sunglasses as gifts. And then they put them on, they'll have, like, a wow expression. But it's, like, it basically just looks like you're putting on, like, a Google's, like, VR glasses. Um, but, yeah, that that's basically the... I, I'm basically thinking it's the same... Um, the same product that D-Wade had to purchase. So I don't know. I mean, Ron Baker hasn't really shown much in the first couple of games he's worn these things, but is this a new era for Ron? Could this be the accessory that reinvents him? Look at Melo no, when he went to no. two sleeves. No, no. Uh, Ron Baker stinks. Stinks out loud? Stinks out loud. It just, he just stinks. I can't... I, I under, Look, I understand he tries to be fun. He, he seems like he's a decent guy. I just can't... I can't do it. I can't do it. He stinks. He just stinks for for such. He's only useful in like these really short five to ten minute spurts off the bench. I just can't. I cannot get on board. He's not going to be a rotational player for us full time going forward or anybody. Really, he's going to just barely hang on by a thread. I I just he stinks. I can't do it. I can't. I'm not going to get stuck in the, the Papa John's pizza picture. Dude, his iPhone won't anything. even do it. His iPhone yeah, won't even not... do it now. His face can't recognize him. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I, I can't do it. He he stinks. He stinks. This is not a, yeah. this, He's not turning any corners. He just stinks. Yep. Yep. Well, that seems like a positive note to end things on today. Um, what say you? You got anything else? No, I mean that that's it. And just yeah. to touch on what you said entering that last part, um, thanks to everybody for coming out to the uh event at Smithfield Hall, which was um a really, really great venue. Yeah, uh, thanks management. to Smithfield Hall. You guys were great. Yeah, management was really, 
really great the whole night. The service was great. The food was exceptional. Um, try the chicken and waffles when you go there. That was really good. Um, it, it was a good time. We had a good turnout. Um, I was happy that anybody showed up because when you throw a party for a bunch of internet strangers, you never you, know. You, you never know. You worry that everybody thinks everybody else is a serial killer. So um, people showed up, which is important. Maybe not everybody that we anticipated, but we had a That's really okay. good turnout. It was snowy, it was cold out. Yeah, just yep. the people who came was the ones who mattered. Thank you. Yep. So, um, yeah, you know, just thank you. And we're going to try to do something else um, later in the year. Um, it's a little nicer. When it gets a little bit warmer, it gets a little nicer. I'd like to have something for playoffs. So just Well, potential be, playoffs. Potential playoffs, that's what I say. So just, you know, be aware of that time of year. That on a Friday or Saturday, I'd like to do something. Yeah, keep but, them um, all. Just keep that entire block of like three months open for us. Yeah, I, I'm going to try to do I mean, if it's not that, maybe we could do a draft thing. I'm just spitballing. But I want to do something when it's nicer out is the point. So we'll, we'll yeah. try to get that together. But um, yeah, seriously, thanks, guys, for coming out um, and just supporting us. So we're going to be able to do cool shit like that or give away merchandise or any of that without you guys. So that was yeah. nice. Thank you. Thank you. And um, pretty much the only other thing that we have to say today is that uh, officially we as a whole become the TKW podcast network next week because we are launching our new podcast, the off the wall podcast featuring Joseph Nardone and Jared Mintz. Uh, Yes. Two good buddies reunited once again to talk about the NBA and college basketball for you just in time to get ready for the March Madness season. Um, because you want to get in early. You don't want to be stuck without a team when it, the tournament finally rolls around. Um, so be on the lookout for that. We should have the feed launch for that this weekend. Um, so either this weekend or tomorrow or something like that. So uh, just keep, keep your eye out for that. Subscribe early. Um, we'll have a little preview up for you and everything. So check that out. And then, you know, obviously head to the nextwall.com and read all of our wonderful articles. Uh, Michael Corvo has a piece up right now about even when Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back, there's still probably going to be a problem on the wing and how the Knicks might address that. So give that a give that a look. Um, check out last night's recap of the Knicks getting steamrolled by the Wizards. We didn't even really talk about that too much. There was no need. Uh, and and yeah, I think that's about it. So 